It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it is time for the Jets-Rams pregame report and mailbag. We're going to continue to take some mailbag questions. Yesterday we did an entire show that was a mailbag today, a couple more of those. Plus, Walter Cherapinski of WalterFootball.com will be here to give you his gambling picks to make you a few bucks this Sunday. But first, of course, we've got the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, what's going on, buddy? Not much, you know, just doing nothing, sitting at home, waiting for this uh, season to uh, conclude. That's about it. Other than doing your job and covering the Jets and the Rams, obviously, which we'll get to later on today, of course, that game happens at 4 o'clock. But before we get into our predictions on the game, let's talk about the news surrounding the team. First of all, the injury report. And if you've had an injury in your life that was caused by somebody else's negligence, it could be a life-changing event. And when that happens, you want a strong legal team fighting for you to make sure you receive full compensation for your injuries. You want to be able to call your legal team whenever you want. You don't want your file to be on a shelf with hundreds of others, and you don't want your lawyers to be afraid to go to court. Here's what you do want. The legal team at Faruqi and Faruqi. They give every client their personal cell phone number to call 24-7. They limit the number of clients they represent at one time. They've got a long track record of taking on insurance companies, corporations, and the government court, and most importantly, a long track record of winning. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Learn more about them at nylegalteam.com. That's nylegalteam.com. And Chris, very short injury report this week. Foley Fadakasi is not going to play because of corona protocols. He was exposed to somebody, had close contact, so he's not going to be in this game. Jamison Crowder is questionable. Don't know exactly what's going on there. Sounds like it's going to be a game-time decision. And we already know Jordan Jenkins has been placed on IR, so he's out for the year. Yeah, that's the big thing. Uh, Jamison Crowder is the only one on the injury, actual injury report right now. He's questionable. I think it, it seems like he's going to be uh, play. So uh, Donald will have Crowder, Mims, and Perriman all at his disposal for this game. Um, yeah, so it's quiet on the injury front this week. Beyond the injuries, not a ton of news as we get ready for this game, but one thing that I thought was interesting was Connor McGovern commenting on the fan base's desire for the team to keep losing so that they could pick number one. He's anti-tank and cited Eagles center Jason Kelsey, who said in a viral video that winning is more important than anything. According to Rich Zimini of ESPN New York, McGovern was quoted as saying, it might be easy for somebody sitting on the couch eating pizza, chips, and dip, saying they should keep losing. 
but if they've ever strapped the pads on, that's an impossible thing for me to do. So I'm going to do whatever I can to win. I understand what he's saying here in terms of it being frustrating if you're a player having your own fan base root against you. Although, Connor, welcome to New York. This fan base does some crazy things from time to time. You're going to be here for a little while, so get used to it. But the implication that everybody that's rooting for this is some idiot sitting on their couch getting fat, eating pizza, chips, and dip. Sure, there are probably plenty of people that are doing that. But there are a lot of intelligent football fans and a ton of people who used to play football that have been saying that this is the way that the Jets should go. And not that they expect the players to lose on purpose, but that they want the team to lose for the betterment of the franchise. Because you have to remember, the fans are going to be here for much longer than any of these players. These fans are going to be fans for life in most cases. I thought it was interesting when Bart Scott, your old friend Chris, came out on SNY and said that even though as a player he obviously was never going to tank as a fan, he would want the Jets to be playing 10 players on 11 or just putting everybody on injured reserve and taking zero chances at this point because considering where they are now, for the best interests of the team long term, you would want to see them get to that goal that most Jets fans are hoping for. So I understand that he's frustrated but the lashing out against the fans seems a little misplaced, especially with him coming out and saying what he said in terms of painting every Jets fan as some dummy who's just getting fat eating pizza on the couch. And by the way, there's absolutely nothing wrong with eating pizza on the couch. If you live in New York or New Jersey, you should be doing that at least once a week. You can exercise to offset it, but you should be eating pizza once a week and taking advantage of the great pizza that we have here. So he's going to be here beyond this year. This isn't a guy like, say, Pierre Desir when he was still here, lashing out knowing that he was going to be gone soon. If I were McGovern, I would choose my words a little more carefully. If he plays well, cool. But if he plays poorly like he did early in the season and keeps talking this way, he's going to find himself in Tremaine Johnson territory pretty quickly. Yeah, also, if, if you were offended by his uh, the way he presented that, you know, this is a if the shoe fits, wear it. If it doesn't, don't situation. If that doesn't apply to you, then don't get offended by it. He wasn't talking about you. If it does, then embrace it because I'm definitely the one eating pizza and cheese and dips and all that stuff. I, I'm I'm comfortably doing that. Um, I just think this is a, a we have a disconnect on what tanking means and mm-hmm. what it really means because fans know that they're not actually talking about the players. Uh, trying to lose on purpose, but the players hear this and they think you're saying that they're trying to tank and they're trying to lose on purpose. And this is a rough year for everyone. Eh, they're 0-13, makes it even a rougher year. He's frustrated. He felt he needed to get that off his chest. I'm fine with it. it it's a, a dumb take. It's a bad take. Jets fans should be absolutely root for losses right now. But I, I, I'm completely okay with him venting and getting that off his chest. If he felt he needed to get that off his chest, then good for him. Uh, like, that's fine. But uh, I, I just don't think anybody should be getting worked up about it. They're, they're frustrated. They're 0-13. They don't want their own fans rooting against them. I get it. Yeah, I get it. And I wouldn't say I'm offended by it. I just think it was a stupid thing to say. And it's certainly not going to be helpful for him. There's no upside to him saying that publicly. 
if he really was that frustrated about it, he should have just talked to teammates about it. There's nothing good that's going to come from him saying this out loud. And as you said, most importantly, no fan expects these players to tank. And that's where the big problem comes in here. If you're a player, you really should understand what the fans are rooting for here. Just as Bart Scott talked about that, he was a former player. He gets it. I'm sure that when he was playing, he wouldn't have loved it. But if you're somebody that understands how this goes, you have to know that the fans rooting for the tank isn't them not wanting you to do well. It's them actually wanting the team to do well and by proxy, you to do well over the long haul. So big picture stuff here for the fans, not big picture stuff here for the players. And that's where this all gets tangled because as we said, players don't tank, but the fans are obviously going to root for the team to lose because as you said, Chris, it's the smart position to take if you're a fan. And that's not me telling anybody how to be a fan. If you want to root for the team every week and you think it's more important for them to win a couple of games, that's cool. I'm fine with that too. I'm never going to tell anybody how they should be a fan. But I will say this, it becomes an interesting storyline and it has been for a while because this is all that anybody seems to be talking about surrounding the Jets and it leads us into the game later today at four o'clock with the Jets and the Rams. So let's talk about this. For the second week in a row, the Jets are going to be on the West Coast. And the fascinating part here, Chris, is that the team had to come back because of the corona protocols and then fly all the way back out to the West Coast, and then they're going to have to fly all the way back home. If they had been able to stay on the West Coast, maybe it would have been a little easier for them because the travel wouldn't have been as brutal and they wouldn't have been as jet-lagged. But I think this definitely will hurt them on top of the other natural disadvantages they have. I would imagine that this Rams defense, which is one of the best in the league, is going to be very aggressive against Sam Darnold. And I would think that the offense for the Rams, which is solid enough, should be able to put some points on the board against a barren secondary. And especially now, too, up front, it's not like the Jets have had a great pass rush, but Jordan Jenkins is out for the year. There's no Foley Fadakasi. He's not going to help in the passing game, but he would normally be able to help in the running game. He won't be there. So I would think that the Rams are going to win this one fairly comfortably. I'm going to say that they end up winning this game by a final score of about 35 to 14. Yeah, this this is, I mean, let's, well, let's start with what really matters. That I, I was originally planning to go on uh, to tr fly out to Seattle for this game and then stay out there and then go to L.A. for, for this game. So th that's the most important thing that's come up. Any of this is my travel plans got ruined. <laughs> um, so that that's what we really need to be focusing on. Um, but no, that the Rams are way too good for this. Like this is not the game that Jets fans should be worried about right now. Uh, the, I understood a little bit of worry for the Raiders game. I even get it for the the P Pats game at the, the last game of the year. And I get it next week against the Browns because they're the Browns and they, they look much better, but they're still the Browns. This is not the game to worry about. <clears throat> the Rams are much better in every shape, uh, uh, every phase of the game. And, uh, their defense, the Jets aren't going to be able to do too much against them. I, I think you're going to actually see Ramsey on Mims a lot. Uh, I, that'll be fun and interesting. Uh, I don't see them being able to have an answer for Aaron Donald. Uh, 
And then offensively, Jared Goff is not as somebody who I believe in in any way, shape, or form. I haven't for ever really. Uh, but even as limited as he is with Sean McVay coaching him, they're going to put up a bunch of points with all the weapons that they have. The way Cam Akers is running the ball right now, you mentioned Folo Fadakaz, he's not going to have a big impact. Uh, I, I, you know, not having him is not going to impact the pass rush. It's going to impact the a run defense, though. And Cam Akers has been running all over everybody. So I, I'm saying something like 37 to 10. Uh, this is this is gonna be a, a quick blowout, and then just keep trouncing them. And with that, Chris, let's jump into the mailbag. And this is the exact type of question I was looking for today. This comes from Michael Kecka, gazed and confused. He says, "Who do you think would win in a tag team match, the Undertaker and Kane, or the team of Quinn and Williams and the Big Ticket Makai Becton?" So let's start with the fact that this would be a rare case of The Undertaker and Kane being outweighed and outsized potentially. So you might have to give that to the big ticket and to Quinn and Williams, the size advantage, plus the quickness. Let's remember, Undertaker is approaching 50, and Kane is also approaching 50. Plus, Kane can't be training regularly anymore because now he's the actual mayor of a city. So I would say you'd have to go with Quinn and Williams and Makai Becton. Plus, I think they would have incredible chemistry as a tag team. Cut some great promos, too, especially Becton. He'd be hilarious on the mic. If this was 20 years ago, Undertaker and Kane versus Quinn and Williams and Makai Becton, that might be a different story. But I think right now, you'd have to go with Quinn and Williams and Makai Becton. Wouldn't you, Chris? You're not a wrestling fan, but you can still appreciate this question. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely gonna take uh, Makai Becton and Quinton Williams in that scenario. I I know Undertaker. I remember watching Undertaker. I don't even I I can't tell you a single thing about Kane or what he looks like, how big he is. But I'm gonna I I feel comfortable with Makai Becton and and Quinton Williams with their size and athleticism. Yeah, I I feel comfortable. Sight unseen. I'm putting my money on them. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Abstract Analyst. He says, will Gase get another NFL job after the Jets? Only asking because I would love to see the Jets play against his new team's offense and be on the other side of Gase again, like when he was in Miami, so that I can have fun rooting against him. I know a lot of people's inclination is to say that Gase will never work in the NFL again, but I think it's possible that he could be a position coach or something like that. I doubt he gets an offensive coordinator job, at least right away, but I could see him maybe being a wide receivers coach or something like that with somebody who he's well connected to. I'd have to start thinking about guys that Gase knew well that he could catch on with. But it's not impossible that he could get a job on somebody's staff somewhere because, as we know, Chris, a lot of it is about who you know. Oh, it's not only is it not impossible, I would venture to say that it's almost a guarantee he will get a, another job in the NFL as long as he wants it. Um, he's not getting a head coaching job. Uh, he's not getting an offensive coordinator job, but a position coach, he could absolutely get one. Uh Maybe not right away, and may, that could also be him deciding to take a year off. Although I don't know if he would, but he's going to get one somewhere. This the NFL recycles these guys. Rod Marinelli's a defensive coordinator now, interim defensive coordinator for the Raiders, but he's still sticking around. He went zero and sixteen. 
Adam Gase will get another job in the NFL within the next couple of years for sure. It, it's gonna he's gonna have a, a lot of work to do to be able to even get up to offensive coordinator again, but position coach for sure in the next couple of years he'll get one. Next question comes in from Sean at Big Z fifteen ninety one. He says, "Forgetting who the head coach is going to be, if you had the opportunity to just pick the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator that you want going forward next year, who would you go with?" It's an interesting question. Now, obviously, in reality, this always boils down to relationships. So, whoever the head coach is is going to pick somebody that he trusts, somebody he's worked with, or somebody that he's crossed paths with that he wants to work with. So this has nothing to do with who they're going to pick as head coach. But I would say the obvious choice as offensive coordinator for me, if he's not going to be the head coach, is Todd Monken. Everybody knows how much I like Todd Monken, and I would not be surprised at all if Chris also says Todd Monken. Now, let's also keep in mind that any choice you make here for offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator cannot be somebody who's an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator that's under contract right now. So I couldn't say Robert Sala as defensive coordinator of the Jets because he can't leave the 49ers for another defensive coordinator job. For defensive coordinator, I'd have to sit down and really think about this, but one name that pops into my head because he's got connections to the Jets and certainly connections to New York and the fact that he was recently just relieved of his duties and he's probably going to be a defensive coordinator again, somebody like Dan Quinn. Now, I know, Chris, you're not a big Dan Quinn fan, but I think he would be a really interesting choice as defensive coordinator because we've seen what he can do with talented defense in the past. I think the Jets can make some moves to make this at least a formidable defense the way it was under Greg Williams. Quinn coming in here could be intriguing. So just off the top of my head, I would say Todd Monken for offensive coordinator and Dan Quinn as defensive coordinator. Yeah, this is a a tricky question because you know, especially offensive coordinator, all the guys that I'm I'm thinking of and I want to name you're not going to be able to hire as an offensive coordinator. You're not going to be able to hire Arthur Smith as uh, or a Brian Dabble as an offensive coordinator. You, it, they're only leaving for a head coaching gig. So really my only answer is Todd Monk in there because Todd Monk could accept a job at, as an offensive coordinator uh, in the NFL. That would be a step up for him uh, where he is right now. So, that that's really my only answer there. I yeah, I I'm against the Dan Quinn thing. I do not like uh coordinators who do not adjust, who who just say we're just going to run our our system no matter what, no matter who we play. I I I do not like that. I I want a coach that's adaptable and uh, flexible to the talent and the teams they're playing. Um, but hey, let's go with uh, Raheem Morris. If uh, assuming that the Falcons don't retain him, he's got the the Falcons defense playing a little bit better. I don't know. I, this isn't a question I've thought about, and uh, admittedly, I've put like zero thought into a defensive coordinator because my brain went straight to Robert Sala. But not only is he under contract, but again, even when he comes up uh, of contract, he's he's only going somewhere. He's going to be a head coach. So I'll throw out somebody like Raheem Morris, but I'll I'll have to do some more uh, research looking into who is available in the next couple of weeks. 
Two other interesting names potentially, one on offense, one on defense, but it would require them to both get fired as head coaches first. Anthony Lynn from the Chargers for offensive coordinator and Vic Fangio from the Broncos defensive coordinator. I don't know for sure that those guys are going to get fired, but if they did, certainly they would be interesting options for any team as a coordinator. Last question comes in from JP Waxer. He says, is Jabari Zuniga on vacation? (laughs) Sure feels like it, doesn't it? He hasn't really done anything. Now, I haven't been pouring over the the tapes as much as I usually do this season uh, because really, why would I? Um, But I, I haven't noticed him why why he's been out there at all. So the, there's not a lot to say there. But you you got to remember he he missed all of training camp. Uh, th- this has been a weird year uh, together. So I think you can kind of just uh, write everything off that happened this year and just start evaluating him next year. Before we go, let's try and put a few bucks in your pocket. Courtesy of my buddy Walter Cherapinski over at WalterFootball.com. He's got your Sunday gambling picks. Walter, let's make some people money this Sunday. Welcome to the show, my man. Thanks, Scott. So uh, the Jets are once again huge underdogs against an NFC West team this week. Uh, last week, I loved Seattle to cover against the the, the Jets. Uh, this week, uh, I, I like the Rams, but not nearly as much as I like Seattle last week. So uh, last week was a special circumstance with Russell Wilson coming off a loss I thought Seattle would play a lot better uh, this week the Rams may not be as focused uh, because they play Seattle next week so they might overlook the Jets uh, even still I, I like the Rams to cover uh, the Jets are going to be missing uh, multiple offensive linemen against Aaron Donald which is going to be a huge issue uh, several defensive players but they're just going to have uh, Denzel Mims back from his personal issues and Jameson Crowder should be healthy so uh, th- there is an outside chance the Jets keep this to within 17 uh, but I, I would take the Rams uh, if I had to uh, so I, I like four other games Games more this week. Staying in the AFC East, uh, I like the Patriots plus one and a half. Uh, everyone I listen to loves the Dolphins, and I, I think there are two strong angles for the Patriots here. Uh, one is that Bill Belichick is having uh, extra time to prepare uh, for a game, especially off a, a, a humiliating loss like they had against the Rams last Thursday. Uh, Bill Belichick, with extra time to prepare, has a great track record of covering. So that, that's one reason I like the Patriots. And the other reason is that Bill Belichick is outstanding against rookie quarterbacks. Uh, we, we saw Tuatanga Bailoa uh, play uh, pretty well at times this year for, uh, in most games. Uh, but if you remember, he really struggled against Denver. And that was against another great defensive-minded coach in Vic Fangio. Uh, and Bill Belichick's even better, uh, obviously. So I think he's going to have some tricks up his sleeve against Tua. And Tua's going to uh, be forced into mistakes. And the Dolphins struggle against the run. So I think the Patriots should be able to run the ball pretty well and, and cover the spread. Um I also like the Titans uh, minus nine. Uh, Matthew Stafford's going to play. So that, that was news we're gonna, we were waiting on. Uh, but I'm not convinced he's 100%. And I'm not convinced the Lions are going to uh, try as hard as they did last week. It seemed like last week uh, was their Super Bowl against Green Bay. Uh, and they lost. And they were basically eliminated from the playoffs uh, with that defeat. So I really don't see the incentive for them uh, to play hard at Tennessee. Uh, they're going to be missing so many players. Kenny Galladay, three offensive linemen, three cornerbacks, two defensive linemen. And, 
and the Titans, uh, you know, they're on a roll, and I, I think they should be able to win easily. I also like Seattle minus five and a half. Uh, actually, it's up to six and a half now. I still like that number. Uh, the Redskins are going to be without uh, Alex Smith, so Dwayne Haskins is going to start. Um, so outside of the first game of the year against the Pathetic Eagles, uh, the the Redskins have played three games in which Haskins has started, and they've lost uh, by an average score of thirty-two to seventeen. Uh, I, I like Seattle a lot here. Uh, they're pretty good in these early East Coast uh, games. Uh, the, Pete Carroll has has been outstanding in those, and the Redskins are going to be down two other best coverage linebackers. So I think Seattle should be able to take advantage of that. Uh, I like Jacksonville plus twelve and a half. It's a big number. Uh, Baltimore just had a, a, an emotional win. Uh, on, they're coming off a short week. They're going to be down several cornerbacks, and Jacksonville's strength is the receiving core. So I think there's a good chance the Jaguars get a backdoor cover, especially with Gardner Minshew starting again. Uh, also like Arizona minus six and a half against the Eagles. Uh, it was just announced that Darius Lay is going to be sidelined. So the Eagles are going to be down two of their, their top two cornerbacks as well as their best safety against a great receiving core. And then you have Kyler Murray, who finally finally played well last week. Uh, you know, he was he was banged up with a shoulder. He wasn't running much. Uh, but we actually, we finally saw him play well against the Giants last week. And Arizona has dominated these NFC East opponents. I think I, I think they should be able to beat the Eagles easily. So those are the WalterFootball.com uh, Week 15 picks against the spread. Back to you, Scott. Thanks, Walter. And thank you for listening. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. doesn't take you much time. doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.